Lord, as we gather this day, we remember your servant Moses, and we rejoice for him. For he wrote down for us the Torah, as he met with you face to face like no other prophet ever has. So we rejoice that in our Savior Jesus Christ, we see you as you truly are, a God of love and compassion, a God who rejoices in having grace and mercy on his people. So be with us now as you read these words of Acts. May we see our Savior Jesus even in the Acts of the Apostles. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah, today is St. Moses Day, just in case you're wondering. Um, St. Moses Day, yeah. So uh, one of the joys of, of living in a place that has daily chapel is you get to celebrate saint days. So today is St. Moses Day. You don't usually call him St. Moses, right? You just call him Moses. But it's the day the church commemorates Moses. So there you go. Um, I think, or is it yesterday? It was one of these days. Either today or yesterday. I can't keep track of my saint days. I'm not that good at it. This so week, it doesn't matter. It yeah. doesn't make any this difference. Week is all messed up. Everyone's all messed up. That is very true. How are you guys? What's that? Well, um, yes. <laughs> I don't know what that would be, but yes. So, so basically, there are there are big days in the church here that we know are certain days that certain things happen to certain people, and then we just fill in the other saints in between. Right? Does that make sense? So we don't know anything about Moses' dates because, you know, they didn't really have time stamps in their pictures back then. So we don't know what dates happened. So we just make up stuff for Moses. He doesn't care. He's not going to complain. You know. So does that make sense? There are certain dates of the, of the church calendar we know. And so we base things off of that. Like Christmas is December 25th. So the Annunciation of Jesus is exactly nine months before that. Right? So that, that's kind of a date we know. And then you can do some off John the Baptist and birthdays off from that and all kinds of stuff like that, right? But then other saints, they just kind of fill in the gaps because who knows? And then the modern saints, we know when they died. So they have their saint days that are on the days they actually lived or died or whatever. So then the biblical saints that we don't know about, we just kind of throw them in the middle, scatter them around. We have some days open just in case someone wants to apply for a saint day. <laughs> I'd like May 22nd. Is that open? You know, we'll see. Um, yeah, there's saints just about every day. It's not a big deal. It's, if you're wondering about what saints are, the next issue of the Lutheran Witness is all about the Lutheran view of saints. It'll be coming out when I finish it next. <laughs> oh. But I got your ad in, so we're good. Thank you. You're welcome. That was my job today. I just want to make you happy. That was all that mattered. <laughs> <laughs> See? See, Jean's told me what's up. I know what I'm doing. So tonight, Acts 13 and 14. Um, again, we are in Pisidian Antioch. Remember, there are two Antiochs in, in the Bible. There's the Antioch that's basically just north of Galilee, right? That's, that's the Antioch where they're first called Christians. And then there's Pisidian Antioch, which is over in modern-day Turkey, basically, okay, Asia Minor. And that's where we are right now. So this is where Paul was preaching in the synagogue. All right, so let's read Acts 13, verses 42 to 52. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas 
who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thirst it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to the eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and of the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Okay, thank you very much. So there's, remember, he had, he had gone to Pisidian Antioch. They were preaching in the synagogue and they had talked about how Jesus was declared the Son of God through his resurrection from the dead. We, we talked about Psalm 2 last week and uh, um, something with Isaiah and the other Psalm, Psalm 16. So that's, that's what happened before this. So now they're reacting to his, his speaking in the synagogue. Okay, so number one. Or I guess before I ask that, any questions from last week or any other week that you've been pondering or perseverating upon? Okay, number one. What were the two reactions to the proclamation of Christ? One was a hunger even more. Good. Exactly. Good. So this is this is one of those things that is is kind of um, it actually happened historically, but also serves as an example for us. What's going to continue to happen when you speak the word of God is there's there's two reactions, and really only two. One is that they're going to rejoice and and honestly thirst for more, right? So you're you're like, yes, I love hearing that, and I want more. That's you guys. Okay, someone says something about Jesus and you say, yeah, like, give me some more, right? Let's share this together. Let's, let's continue to rejoice together in this. Let's, let's join a fellowship around this. Let's, let's worship together, right? Let's Bible study together. Let's, let's whatever, right? That's, that's your reaction. And these are the people that, that believe. So this is what happens when a believer hears the word of God. They rejoice in the message and they want to hear more. That's just what believers do. And and what makes you rejoice when you hear the word of God? Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. So this is the work of the Holy Spirit in you, is it says, by the Holy Spirit, believer hears, rejoices, and wants more. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Okay? And then the second reaction is not reje not rejoicing, but rejecting. Reject Okay, which means, no, I don't want any part of that. That's not for me. I don't care. I don't believe it. I don't want it. I don't believe in God. Whatever, right? 
So when you hear the gospel, you preach the gospel to somebody and they say, get out of here. What right do you have to tell me? Right? You can't judge me. That's true for you, but it's not true for me. Everyone has their own truth. All these things, right? What are they doing? They're rejecting Christ. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Christ. Okay? And if, and if this is the work, this is what believers do, then who's doing this? This is unbelief, right? So these are unbelievers. And if the Holy Spirit is driving us to do this, then, then who's driving us to do this? Right. This is the sinful self. Okay? This is, this is original sin at work. Okay? So again, we're reminded that, that when people hear the gospel and believe it, who's at work? The Holy Spirit. When people hear the gospel and reject it, who's at work? The sinful self. They are. Okay? So this is what we keep saying about salvation, is that who gets the blame for someone being saved? God. God gets all the blame. That's your fault. You saved me. Right? <laughs> but see, that's good news, right? So blame is a good thing. But who gets the blame if they're not saved? God. No, God does not. God doesn't get the blame at that point, right? He only gets the blame for salvation. But if I'm not saved, that's my own fault. Okay? So, and I do not advocate this in any way, shape, or form. There was a song back in the day called Nobody's Fault But Mine. And it was actually remade by a terrible band. But, but, but the song says, if I don't read my Bible, my soul's lost. It's nobody's fault but mine, right? It, it's, it's your fault. So, so this is what happens when Paul preaches is that some people hear the word rejoice. Other people hear the exact same preaching. Notice, the exact same preaching. And they reject it. Right? So what does this teach you about, about witnessing? Expect to be rejected. Yeah. It expects to be rejected. It also teaches you that it's, it's not because you said something wrong. <coughs> if you would have just said it better, right? See, that, that's the trap we fall into. We say, well, it's my fault. Because if I would have just done it better, then they would have... No, no, no. This is the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, preaching. And the exact same message, this is what I want you to get, the exact same message results in rejoicing and rejection. This is why we are free as Christians to witness without any fear of failure. Because when someone rejects, it's not the fact that you messed it up or something. It's much more spiritual than that, right? You're not actually that powerful. <laughs> no offense. Okay, Susan? It's okay. <laughs> so how come the Holy Spirit doesn't... He has to work extra hard on the rejection person? I, or does he just turn his... his you have to take it up with him. Okay. This <laughs> is the... This is the unanswerable question of theology, why some are saved and not others. I don't know. Nobody knows. Anybody who says they know, doesn't know. 
It's just, we don't know. That is the question. You get your goal. Yeah, it's all the Holy Spirit, all rejoicing, and it's uh, the word is efficacious. It's going to do its thing, and God says my word, rock, and hurry, void. So, and then it doesn't work, and you go, why? So, I don't know. I don't know. Right. So, 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 what what helps our sinful self reject? Right. It's it's Satan and the world. Right. So what happens is is once you hear the word and rejoice, now your sinful flesh will continue to to rebel against this good news, and that's the fight we have as Christians, where our sinful flesh is t- still telling us, "Yeah, you don't need that," right? And that's why it's so important to keep keep hearing more, keep coming to the word. See, salvation is not a, is not. I accepted Jesus when I was 13. I'm good to go the rest of my life. No, 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 no. It's, it's Christ brought you in through our baptism. He brought you through hearing the word. And you continue in that every day of your life. You, you read the word of God. You come together as worshiping community as often as possible. Right? You pray every day. You read every day. It's because your sinful flesh is always saying, you don't need God. That's not true. Right? And it's, it's a war. It's literally a daily war. Now, the good news is we got the ace up our sleeve. His name is Jesus. He wins in the end. I've, I've read the end. <laughs> it turns out really well with your own Jesus' team. So stay there. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a daily struggle. Okay? I have a question about the passage. Yes. Okay, so who invited Paul and Barnabas back then for the second week? Was it the Jews? Like, did they accept it? Did they like the preaching the first week, but not the second? So what happened was he was good enough of a speaker that we were like, wow, that was really interesting. You're amazing. We want you to come back. Because so, it's a small group of synagogue who was just probably the kind of the normal people that show up, okay. right? And then word got out, there's this amazing guy who's okay. saying stuff we never heard before. Mm-hmm. You ought to come here. So the whole crowd shows up and the Jews are like, hey. So are we talking hey. the same Jews who were in that small group? Some would be the same. Some would be the same and some would be extra. So what you want to picture is, and we've talked about this a couple of times before in, in different settings, but remember, I don't know what I'm going to draw. Sometimes I just turn around like, what am I going to draw? I don't know. <laughs> but, but back in the day, there was no, this was entertainment mm-hmm. as well as religion. Right. So when, a, when a, neat, a new good speaker came in town, people would come just to hear him, even a synagogue. Mm-hmm. So what probably happened is, is the normal group of Jews with Gentiles who came to synagogue heard him the first time, said, you've got new stuff to say, and you're really good at saying it. We'd like to hear you again. So they went home and invited all their friends. So now the Jews invited all their friends, the Gentiles invited all, and there's this huge crowd. And the Jews are going, I don't want you following him. And then they reject the, the gospel of Jesus. And they're like, not only do I want you following him, you're also teaching something against the Torah because... Paul is saying that Jesus is the Messiah and they're saying no he isn't so then they want to get him out so it's yeah it's kind of a mixture and it'll happen again this is going to be a pattern we see over and over and over that Paul comes and talks and people like him they invite him back and then when he comes back he attracts too big of a crowd and he gets in trouble oh he's become too too popular he's become too popular that's right because it's too popular exactly okay so, number two, what is the result of the Jews rejecting Jesus? Right. 
So Paul says, fine. Right? It was necessary in 46. Paul Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary the word of God be spoken to you first, since you thrust it aside and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Okay? So the result of the Jews rejecting Jesus is the Gentiles receive him. And this is one of the great mysteries of the New Testament. Paul even says this. This is the great mystery that God wants to save Gentiles. Why is this a mystery? Because we always thought that the Jews were the people of God. Right. Why did they think that? Because God said it. (laughs) Yeah, they have it on good authority, right? (laughs) God said it. They're like, cool, Israel is God's people. He's like, yes, and we're going to save the Gentiles. So they go, nope, they're not God's people. We are. And so when Jesus comes and starts talking about the whole world and all nations, they're going, you don't mean. They thought, they really thought, I think you, could, you can actually see this in the New Testament pretty easily. They actually thought he meant the Jews that were living in other nations. So they just thought they were going to go get the Jews that weren't living in Israel and bring them home. But then what happens is the actual Gentiles start believing in the book of Acts and they go, wait, what? Gentiles believe? And that's why Paul's mission becomes the mission of the Gentiles. Because remember how he read in the first part of the book of Acts that Gentiles outside of Jerusalem started believing and the apostles went to check that out. And they're like, yeah. This is, and then in Acts 10... Peter's given the vision of the, the sheets coming from heaven where he learned that not to call anything unclean. Remember that? And that's, that's the transition from the Jews to actually Gentiles. Not just Jews living among Gentiles, but actually Gentile people. And so that's... So what's happening is, is we, are, we are moving toward Acts 15. I know it sounds silly because we're in Acts 13 we're going to read 14. Of course we're in Acts 15. But what's in Acts 15? It's the first big Jerusalem. It's the church. It's the first church council. Okay, the council of Jerusalem, and in Acts fifteen, the whole question is: Can Gentiles be saved without becoming Jews? And what's the result? What do they decide? Yes. Okay, so this whole narrative of Jew and Gentile in all of Acts 1 through 14, actually, is leading up to this meeting of the church when they're going to actually quote Old Testament passages to say, yes, this is not only what's happening, it's what God said was going to happen the whole time. We just didn't get it. Okay, and then... The result of Acts 15 is that Paul's going to get thrown in prison because that's just the way it goes. The book is just weird. I can't. I didn't write it. It's just the way it goes. But because of Acts 15, he's going to go back, back out to his Gentile mission, which is going to result in him being thrown in prison, and then he'll go to Rome and be in prison. 
it's just kind of a weird story. Okay? Now, don't forget this though. He's going to continue to witness to Jews. So this isn't an absolute just Gentiles, no longer Jews. Just like, remember, Peter is the apostle to the Jews, but he will still talk to Gentiles. So it's not 100%. It's just Paul saying, fine. If the synagogue won't accept it, we're going to go to the Gentiles. Okay, questions? Hmm. Okay, number three. What theme is repeated here? It's in 49, the first words. Right. The word of the Lord. Remember, throughout the entire book, the word of the Lord grows, the word of the Lord increases, the word of the Lord is spreading. And remember, the big, the big question is, Where's Jesus in the book of Acts? He's not here. Right. So in the Gospels, where is he? He's here. We're talking to him. He's talking to us. We're eating with him. He's feeding us, right? Jesus is there. What happens to be in the book of Acts? He goes up into heaven. And the apostles are going, now what do we do? Like we barely got it when he was here. How's this going to work when he's gone? And what's the answer? The answer is the word of the Lord. The, the church will continue through the word. Okay? The preaching of the word, the teaching of the word, eventually the writing of the word, and, the, and now the reading of that written word. Okay? So, so the book of Acts is really saying that the, the church will continue. Jesus will continue His ministry. His earthly ministry will continue through the Word of the Lord. Okay? Now, go with me just for a quick second, just because somebody in here is studying Isaiah. We'll go to Isaiah chapter 40. Go to Isaiah 40, verse 6 through 8. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8. So remember, Isaiah 1 to 39 is basically going to get the, the people of Jerusalem and Judea into exile. They're, Isaiah 1 to 39 is explaining why Babylon is going to conquer Israel or Judah. I mean, Assyria has already conquered the northern kingdom. He's going to conquer the southern kingdom through Babylon later. And 1 to 39 explains why. 40 to 55 is the ex explanation of how God is going to rescue his people out of exile. Okay? So it's the hopeful part. And then 56 to 66 is a description of what it's like after you've been rescued from exile. Okay, so 40 is this, this beginning of a section that's going to talk about God's word going to his people to save them. That's the point of Isaiah 40. So look at Isaiah 40 verses 6 through 8. A voice says cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. 
and all beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, and the word of our God will stand forever. Okay, so what's going to last forever? The word of God. Not people, not nations, not temples, right? But the, the word of our God. Okay, so this is really the theme of the book of Acts is that Jesus is gone. The disciples don't know what's going on. How's the church going to survive? How the church going to grow? And the answer is the word. It's the word of God. Okay, now here's what I want you to think through now that we're Lutherans in wherever century we're in. 21st century, is that where we're at? Like, centuries go by so fast, I can't even talk about it. So like just yesterday, it was the 21st century. Um, so we believe that, that God works through the sacraments. Right? What's the power in the sacraments? The word. the word. What does it say in your catechism? Remember your catechism. How can water do such great things? It's not just plain water that does such great things like forgive sins. Right? No, it's not just plain water, but it's water combined with God's command and connected with God's word. See? Same thing with the Lord's Supper. How is it it's just eating and drinking that does this? No, 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 no. But it's the word of God that says, take and eat, this is my body given for you. Take and drink, this is the blood of Christ shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. See, it's always the word of God, the promises of God that are active. Does that make sense? So you take out the word of God and baptism is just water. It's not going to help anybody. You take out the word of God and it's just bread and wine. You take out the word of God and this is nothing. This, this book that we're reading is nothing if it's not the word of God, right? It's just nothing. It's not going to help you. But because it's the word of God, this is, these are the things that will give you life and salvation and forgiveness and hope, right? And the Holy Spirit promises to work in this. So the Holy Spirit makes this word of God efficacious. That's one of my favorite words. Efficacious. Efficacious is a big fancy word to mean it does what it says it's going to do. It has power to, to effect. See that word? It, it affects things. It's efficacious. It does stuff. And this, is what we, this goes back to the first part that we were talking about where when the word of God is applied to somebody, it has an effect. It's not neutral. It's not benign. It does something. You might not be able to perceive it, but it does something. The Word of God either, right? Or, but I don't have them there. It does this or that, right? But the Word of God does something. And this is why I keep saying, when you talk to somebody about your faith, when you share the word of God with somebody and they reject you, they're not rejecting you. It's the word of God that's affecting them. And when you go to somebody and you say something like, yes, that is great. Thank you. I rejoice in that. It's also not you, by the way. No offense. It's the word of God. Does that make sense? All right. Now, what I want you to call your attention to is, is verse 48. Let's look at verse 48. Acts, four, Acts 13, sorry. Back to Acts 13. You're supposed to keep up with my brain. 
Not what I see. Mine's jumpy enough. I know, exactly. <laughs> you got to get your jumping mind in line with mine jumping mind. Okay, Acts 13, 48. This is a verse that you need to kind of slow down and, and see. Acts 13, 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, which is an interesting phrase. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Did you guys catch that when you read it the first time? Who believed? As many as were appointed. To eternal life. Okay, this has been a big controversial verse in the history of the church. Because what is this saying? Predestination. Okay, this is a predestination verse. And the reason this is a predestination verse is actually because of the Vulgate translation of Jerome, when he translates into Latin, he actually used the word predestination for a form of it. In Greek, the, the actual word is is tasso. Tasso. The Greek word tasso means to put something in order. Okay, so that's where you get the the translation. Um, as many were appointed or put in order for the purpose of. Okay, so tasso is actually it, it, its roots are in military. It's a military word. And it's, it's the word where you say um, they're going to line up for inspection. You've seen that on TV or movies where they line up and, and, they're, and they're supposed to be perfect rows and all that kind of stuff. That's tasso. you got to get an order. Um, the, the word you know that uses this word is syntax. Do you know what syntax is? Like grammar and syntax. That's actually how parts of, of language line up together. Sin is with or together, and tax is to line up or to be in order. So the, the point is, this word means that God lined these people up, set them apart, put them in order to be saved. So why did they believe? What's that? Because God made them believe. He set them up beforehand to believe. This was what's going to happen. Why? Because God set it up that way. That's what this verse is actually saying. And even if you don't like this idea, say, yes, that's actually what the verse says. Okay? This verse says that God set these people up and predestined them to be saved. That's why they believe. Because God predestined them to be saved. Yeah. But did God predestine us all to be saved? No. Why, why did he... Before the world was made. Uh-huh. Good. He knew that he was going to have to send his son yep. to save us all. Yep. So aren't we all predestined? Nope. No. <laughs> but if you reject, then, you're, then you reject the love of God and his workings for you. If you reject, whose fault is it? Yours. Yours. Does God have anything to do with that? No. 
No. If you believe, who, whose fault is that? God's. Do you have anything to do with that? So if God is predestining, which, which part of the equation is he active in? This one, not this one. So predestination does not have anything to do with this one. It only has to do with this one. This is, this is, the, this is the clincher whenever we talk about predestination is you have to remember that predestination is a word in Paul's writing to talk about salvation. You are predestined to be saved. There is no opposite of that. There is no opposite of that. So what that means is this is actually a synonym with faith. It's just saying God set you apart to be a believer from before the creation of the world. Okay? Now, how did God get you into the condition of being saved? How did Paul get the Gentiles, or how did God get the Gentiles into the condition of being saved in this passage? What did he do? What did God do to get these Gentiles saved in Acts 13? He brought them. He, what's that? He brought them. Who? How? By gathering them there, by hearing him once, and then having them come... By hearing them. what? The word. The, word. the word. Okay? So predestination doesn't eliminate the means by which he makes this happen. How did you get part of this salvation, predestination, faith stuff? By the word. By the word. Maybe you were baptized as an infant. It was given to you, right? Maybe you heard it when you were an adult. I don't know. But God... See, this doesn't eliminate means. This just explains why the means work. Because God predestined it to be so. It's by his will. It's by his choosing. Okay? Now, Susan, you said something else that was very interesting. You said, didn't he know? Okay? So now that's, that's a different idea. That's foreknowledge. Foreknowledge means that God knows everything that is, this is important, that is going to happen. Not which might happen, but actually is going to happen. So none of this, well, if he knew, why did he? Well, because he knows what is not. It's not back to the future where he's going, I could change this and it would change all that. No, that's not the game he's playing. Okay, He actually knows what is going to happen. So you can't say, why did he create the world knowing Adam and Eve are going to sin? Well, because that's what is going to happen. This isn't one of the things that could happen. No, it's actually happened. Right, and he knew that. So do you see the difference? We, a lot of us think foreknowledge means he has all these possible futures he's choosing from. No, no, no. He actually sees the future and knows what is going to happen. Now, what, what does that not say? He's not causing everything he knows to happen. Just because he sees it's going to happen doesn't mean he's the cause. cause of it. Right? Does that make does sense? That, does that mean... Does, hmm? 
Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh-huh. <laughs> because uh-huh. that's my tendency that when uh-huh. my life goes wrong, it's God turning his back on. Right. Ooh. Right. <laughs> and the answer is no. never. Never will he turn his back on you. You've got that one promised, promise kept. That's the death and resurrection of Jesus. God will never, ever turn his back on you. He can't. It's impossible for God to turn his back on you. Because in his son Jesus, he turned his back on him so that he will never turn his back on you. Ever. That's what it means to be in Christ. You and God are permanently together in this. Right? Okay? So what happens is, when we talk about these eternal things of God, this is actually a very important thing to discuss because does God know everything that's going to happen? Does he cause everything that happens? No. No. Because he does not will that evil happens. So the Bible actually says that happened because of Satan or because of death or because of sin or because of rebellion or because of whatever. Right? And you can't blame God for that. That's your fault. I can't blame God for my sin. I can't. Right? Because he doesn't cause me to sin. What does he cause me to do? He caused me to repent and to, we heard this in chapel today, Ephesians 2.10, he prepared good works for you that you might walk in them. Right? So what does God cause me to do? Good works. What do I cause me to do? Bad works. works. Right. So (laughs) we got to get this straight, right? So when I mess up, I don't turn to God and say, what are you doing? No, that's not. He didn't cause that. I caused that. Did he know I was going to do that? Yes, he did. So So here's the good news. Is he caught off guard? No. Never. And are your sins so awful that God's going to go, I, I, uh, <laughs> I was going to help you. I was going to bless you. I was going to take care of you. But you messed up now. I, I don't know. No, he's not that way at all. He knows. He already knows what you're going to do, including your sin. And what did he do? What did he do to say, no matter what, I love you? He sent his son. He sent his son. And if that cross is still valid, if that still happened, then God still loves you. Right? Okay? So that's the promise of the word. So we're going to talk about this. We're going to say God looks ahead and knows everything that is going to happen. Doesn't mean he causes it. But when it comes to people being saved, we talk about him causing that as predestination. So foreknowledge, not causing doesn't make it happen, just knows it's going to happen. Predestination, God causes salvation. And he does it by the means of the word, right? The word, which is in the word and the sacraments. And that's the means by which he brings us to faith. And that's done by grace. And that faith is in Christ. Okay? And that's exactly what's happening here in Acts. How does prayer? It doesn't at all. I have no idea how it fits in there. How does prayer fit into this? So, and it goes to if God is not the cause, but when mm-hmm. you 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, he knows. He's not gonna. He okay. So how, how do you know something is an answer or not an answer? So how do you know you what? Always get an answer to prayer. You always get an answer to prayer. You don't always like the answer to your prayer. Okay, so that's a very good question. How does prayer fit into this? Um, I can, I I always answer prayer backwards first. I guess prayer is not. Your opportunity to inform God that he's doing a bad job and he needs your advice to do a better job. <laughs> okay, that's not what prayer is. Most of us think that's what prayer is. Most of us are like, hey God, you have not been paying attention, but this person I love is going through this and you need to fix it. Which is basically what most prayer is. That's what my prayer usually is, is hey God, I'm paying attention because I care. You don't care as much as I do, so I'm just going to let you know how to handle this situation moving forward. <laughs> and tomorrow night, I'll come back and I'll remind you again of how to handle it, right? And he goes, thank you so much, Kevin. I was unable to function without you. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking, All right? And oh, see, heavenly Kevin. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. And, and so most prayers, us thinking that it's our opportunity to tell God what's up. Now, that's not prayer. Prayer is actually us bringing before God our concerns and acknowledging that He is the one who can handle them. I can't. He can. Now, here's the cool thing, though. How does He ask us to come before Him? Everything. With everything that's on your mind. Just let Him know. Just let Him know. He apparently doesn't. He apparently loves to hear from us. And you can, he act, Jesus actually tells us, pray the same thing over and over and over and over and over. God's not going to get sick of hearing from you. See, so what we want to do is we want to come in faith, acknowledging that I'm not telling God what to do. I'm not in charge. God's still in charge. But he, at the same time, he invites you to come. And there's no prayer prayed out of faith that is bad. If you're praying out of faith that God is God and he loves you because of Christ, you can pray whatever you want. And guess what? <laughs> he likes to hear from you. He likes to listen to you. Right? He loves it. Now, don't think for a second, if it doesn't turn out how you want, that he stopped loving you. No. No. It just means that you're <clears throat> not God. Which is not a bad thing to remember occasionally. And sometimes... Sometimes what we have to learn is to trust that when God doesn't agree with my will for what's best, that I have to submit myself to that will and believe and believe when I can't figure it out for myself, I have to believe that he's right. Even in this. Does it make sense? Does that... So, so he knows what's going to happen. And, and he invites us to bring our concerns before him and say, this is what's going on, and I, I'm coming to you for help. And he says he'll never stop listening. Tom? How does Jesus' prayer in the garden fit into that? Perfectly. Of course. Perfectly. But so, so when he asks, you know, if it, yeah. to remove it. Right. So this is Jesus saying, here's my concern. This is freaking me out. 
I mean, I know it sounds weird to hear from Jesus, but he actually says to the disciples, I am sorrowful to the point of death. And he comes before his heavenly father and he goes, I'm just going to check one last time. Is there any way to do all this without me suffering for the entire sins of the entire world? This is going to be awful. And the father says, there's another way. And he goes, okay, I'll be right back. And he goes, after the second he comes back and he goes, okay, dad, I'm back. Here's a, let's review. One more time. Right? Is there any way? And God says, no. Go to the cross. And he goes, okay, I'll be right back. And he goes to talk to the disciple. And he goes, wait, you're still sleeping? Because I, I got to, you know, I'm not getting any answers over here. And he goes back to his father. What does he say? Not my will, but your will be done. And then what does he do? He says, rise, let us go. Why? Because it's time to get on with it. My betrayer has come. It's time to get on with this. We got to get to the cross, right? And that's what we do in prayer. Is, is what, is, what does Paul say? I prayed three times the Lord would take it away from me. And what did the Lord say in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? My grace is sufficient for you. And Paul said, therefore, God's power is made perfect in my weakness, so I will boast all the more in my weaknesses, for I am weak, then he is strong. Okay? That's the life of prayer. It's a continual cycle where we continue to go before God say, this is what I want. And if he says no, okay. Teach me to believe that. Teach me to trust in you. Teach me to rely on your grace. Where is the verse that talks about even if you can't vocalize? Or- Romans 8. Okay. Romans 8.26. Okay. Romans 8.26 says that the, the Holy Spirit will intercede with groans too deep for words to express. Now let's let's turn there real quick. You know, we're not going to get to Lystra. <laughs> we're not going to get to Lystra anyway. Yeah. Romans eight. I'm really hoping it's twenty six now. Romans eight twenty six. The reason I want to show you this is that it's important. This is an important linkage. These are verses you know, but you don't know that they go together. That's what I'm going to show you. Romans eight twenty six. Okay. Here, here's the thing. If it sounds familiar like Paul said it, you can always guess it's in Romans. Like, I don't know, I think it's in Romans. And you're going to be right a lot of the time. And then if they, it's not there, say, ah, check Ephesians. Because it's there a lot, too. We know a lot of the verses. But Romans 8, you know all these verses. So Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. If we, don't know, don't know what, we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Sorry, the NIV is in my head. But the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now listen, the next verse you know. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good. See, don't separate those two verses. A lot of you will say, well, I know the promises of God that all things will work together for good for those who love God. But that's right after the verse that says the Holy Spirit will intercede for you in prayer. See? It's all working together. Yeah. Why? And keep going because for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. I'm telling you, I didn't foreknow all this, but it all worked out together, didn't it? <laughs> See? Let's see what, you, what you, all of a sudden what you see is this is Paul's theology, right? It all comes together and it's all gospel for those who are in Christ. The foreknowledge, 
the prayer, the predestination, the spirit, the intercession, Christ is, it's all working together. See, it's all in concert and it's all ours by grace through faith because of what Christ has done. It's all together. So yeah, that's, that's this whole passage, Romans 8, you could just always study every day because it's amazing. Okay, but do you see how, Susan, Susan, do you see how it kind of all fits together, that, that interceding of the Holy Spirit with the working out together for good and then predestination? We're all, this is because we're in Christ. Okay? That's number three. All right, number four. Let's go back to Acts 13. It's really funny. I, anyway, I'll, I'll tell you later. I won't tell you. Oh, it's funny in my head. Number four. What is the reaction of the disciples? Right. They shake the dust from their feet because they're getting rejected. And so then what do they do? Rejoice. They rejoice. Yes. They do what Jesus told them. They would shake their dust off their feet and they rejoice. Now, here's what I want you to see. Who wrote this book? Acts? Luke. Luke. Go to the very end of the Gospel of Luke. So go to the page before John 1, which is Luke 24. Luke 24, 52, and 53. You guys there? It was the Gospel of Luke. It's the third book of the New Testament. See, this is, this is what happens. You're, you're going to see this in Luke's writings when the disciples encounter Jesus, especially in his word about his death and resurrection and his ascension, which is all together, they're going to continue to rejoice. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit they're rejoicing. So what happens here is in their rejection and all of this, this theme gets, gets, gets repeated that they are, oh wait, it's back here that they are rejoicing. Because the same, the people who speak the word of God are also hearing the word of God. So that the apostles rejoice simply because of the word of God, right? And, and why do you rejoice when you're believing and you hear the word of God? Who gives you the power to do that? Holy Spirit. What does it say in Acts 13? The disciples were filled with joy and with... Uh, Holy Spirit. See how it works? Now, I'm not gonna, we don't have time to turn there. Ephesians 5.22. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Ephesians 5, I'm sorry, Galatians 5.22. I say Ephesians. Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. One of the things the Holy Spirit gives us is joy. We rejoice. Okay? Back in Luke. Yep. 24-45. Yes. Mm, good stuff. How does that apply? Alright, Luke 24-45. They opened their minds so they could understand the scripture. And Jesus opened the disciples' minds. Is that something that happens? Or is this a, a, a 
specific. This is specific to them. But again, they're not going to get it. Okay, they still don't get it. They're, he's opening their minds to understand them, but until the Holy Spirit comes, they really don't get it. They get parts of it, and they're like, oh, okay, cool, yeah. But they don't, they're not going to get it enough to actually start preaching and teaching it until Pentecost. Remember, this is the same author who writes Pentecost. So you have this also in the end of, of John's Gospel, where the disciples get enough to believe that Jesus is the resurrected Christ. He's the Son of God. He's, he's God and man. But they don't understand enough to actually be filled with the Holy Spirit and be able to teach it like they do later. What does open the mind mean? To see that the, whole, that the Old Testament is actually about, about Jesus. No, but I mean, if he opens their mind, if Jesus is through the opening of the mind, mm-hmm. the assumption is that it's going to get done. Well, be, yes, enough to, un, enough to believe what he just said, but not enough to believe everything the Holy Spirit is going to teach him later. Oh, later. Later. It's going to happen later in 49 days. Yeah, the Holy Spirit will come and, and what Jesus says in John is the Holy Spirit will come and lead you into all truth and remind you everything I taught you. So that's the Holy Spirit stuff. But yeah, so Luke 24, 44, and 45 is this amazing passage. Um, and it's really fun because um, I, was reading, I was reading some work on, on Acts 13 and 14 and, and they actually referenced this passage in, the, in this one commentary and said, a lot of people wonder what was the content of Jesus' teaching here in Luke 24, both to the Remaeus disciples and here in this passage. And they said, if you want to know the Old Testament passages that were used to point to the Jesus as the Messiah, that's what you have in the sermons of Acts, is you have them quoting Old Testament passages saying, see, Jesus is Messiah. So this could be the passages that Jesus taught them to use. So you have the Psalms, you have Isaiah, you know, you have these things in, in the book of Acts that are quoted over and over and over to point to Jesus as the Christ. Okay? I guess we're not going to Acts 14 tonight. <laughs> I like how optimistic you were when you started this. I know. I actually thought, yeah. This afternoon, I thought I might get through both sides. I was like, maybe tonight. And I thought, no, but we might get all the way to 11. But we got halfway down the first side. That's pretty good. Okay, so next week we're going to do Acts 14, which is fun. We didn't do predestination, though. That's pretty good for one night. Okay, any quick questions before we go? There are slow questions before we go. Okay, let's pray. <laughs> Lord, we thank you that in all of these things, we know you to be a God who loves us and forgives us a God who is with us at all times. Because in our Savior, Jesus Christ, you have come to us to forgive our sins and to give us eternal life. So by your Spirit, Lord, keep us in that one true faith. And let us now travel home safely and let us sleep in the peace of your love. In Jesus' name. Thank you all. Do you have a question, Susan?